I want to help 20-somethings find their passions and avoid a midlife crisis. My wife kind of had a pre-life crisis. My brother had a pre-life crisis. I did a disc for a dude that was a CFO of a mega company. And he realized, oh, my God, this totally doesn't align with my behavioral patterns from disc. So we're trying to help people figure it out before they're 35 with the house and kids and having to make a major life change. Let's make the life change before we really start the professional life. And it doesn't have to be so hard. You spend a few hours on it, get some exposure, do some reading, understand yourself, and you can find something like what you and I found, Darius, where we're just always happy to go to work. Welcome to the Edge of Excellence podcast. This show is for current and aspiring leaders that are dedicated to showing up every day in their lives with excellence. We break down the careers of those excelling so you can understand what is out there and how to rise up in every field you choose. Let's get the show on the road, shall we? Your host has spent his life promoting global entrepreneurship, helping 20-somethings find their passion and working to help others achieve excellence. CEO of CollegeWorks, Matt Stewart. Hey, Edge of Excellence listeners. This episode is going to be a little bit different. After over 70 episodes of listening to me interview other people, my team and I thought it might be a great change of pace to listen to some of the times I've been on podcasts interviewed by others. Over the next two episodes, we're going to recast, that's the word for it, recast a couple episodes of other people's podcasts where I capture a bit of my own story and background. It'll be different as I'm sitting on the other side of the interview table. On this next episode, we have my interview with Darius Miserade on The Greatness Machine. This was a great show. Darius is a good buddy of mine. He wrote the book Core Value Equation. He's got the show The Greatness Machine. What I love about this is his questioning me of what my next big thing is. And I think about Darius and I think about other entrepreneurs. They're always planning and adjusting. The short term has to affect the long term. And there's got to be a vision to know where you're going so you're ready when you get there. Darius has positive energy and such a great part of my support system, reminding me of all almost every guest on my show talked about how they've developed a support system, either family or outside of family. Well, Darius is part of mine, and you'll hear some of the insights he has into becoming great and getting the support of others. I hope you enjoy this show. You can find it on any, any podcast platform, The Greatness Machine. Here's my interview with Darius Miserati. What's up, Matt Stewart? Hey, Darius. Hey, man. Welcome to The Greatness Machine. It's very wonderful to be on The Greatness Machine, Darius. I remember when you started The Greatness Machine. I bought a bunch of your books. It's great to be here. I know the show's been doing great, and I know uh, people love The Core Value Equation. Thank you for having me. Man, I can't believe this is finally happening. So first of all, Matthew Kennedy Stewart is co-founder and CEO of National Service Group, NSG. And they operate College Works uh, Painting, Empire Community Construction, Home Genius Exteriors, and SMJJ Investments. So what that means in plain English is he runs a big-ass company. And we're going to be talking all about that. And this is a company he founded uh, decades ago with his partner. So from a really small Southern California company, NSG has grown into an international company. They have offices all throughout US and Canada. He serves on the board of directors of several organizations. In addition to his role at NSG, and in the past, 
He was the chairman of the global board of entrepreneurs organization, which is one of probably the most successful uh, entrepreneur groups in the world, if not the most successful entrepreneurship groups in the world, uh, with more than 142 chapters, over 14,000 members across 46 countries. And he is the host of uh, the Edge of Excellence podcast, where he's helping young college-aged kids find their passion, something I know you're really passionate about yourself, my friend. So man, look, you've been an entrepreneur for your whole career, more or less. I'd love for you to kind of tell us your origin story. Like what got you into becoming an entrepreneur? Tell us your, go take us all the way back. Okay. Lack of employability. So uh, it's funny that you say that we're different. I don't think we are. I mean, I think that a lot of, I mean, there's two types. There's the buttoned up, high wearing entrepreneurs and CEOs that people may equate with the role. And then there's the rest that are kind of like us, hard charging, drivers, uh, visionaries, a little bit crazy because you have to be crazy to put your whole life on the line. Like I said, I just got back from this trip with some of my closest friends. And you know, one person said to us that, I don't think most people could keep up with this. You know, going from 6 a.m. till 2 a.m., sleeping four hours a day, eat, 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 drink, drink. I will say a lot of entrepreneurs drink too much, but just go, 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 go. No time to rest. And I think that's, you know, a lot of people figure out their entrepreneurs from that. And in my case, you know, I had a lot of jobs and uh, I got fired a lot. And, I, you know, I look back, I think I was bored, which is an excuse, um, but I was bored. I want you know, maybe air. Well, I know I was arrogant. And my entrepreneurial journey started when I went to work for this student works painting company. Uh, to learn business so I could be a lawyer. And so I wanted to learn how to run a business so I could be a partner in a law firm. I had a whole plan. It takes 14 years to be a partner. I wanted to do it in seven. If I learned the management side, I could manage a law firm, blah, blah, blah. But what happened was I realized I hate school. I don't like I don't like compliance. And school for me was a lot of compliance, um, putting things in, in terms that the professors liked, not what I liked. So I was having a hard time with school and then I did this business thing, and I grew up in New Mexico. There wasn't a whole lot of entrepreneurship it, that I was surrounded by. And I went, whoa, what's this business thing? I had no idea that you could take, you know, people wanted me to be a lawyer because I had the gift of gab. Well, that's sales. So I could, I could apply that to sales. I'm a people person. I could apply that to management. I'm an avid learner. I could apply that to rapid growth. So I went and worked for a company that taught me how to be an entrepreneur. And then these two guys that are now my partners said, hey, you should come back and be a leader in the company. And I remember saying this to my partner, Jay. I said, hey, I don't think you want me, dude. I think all my jobs that I did this summer, they're going to fall apart. And he said, that's why I want you. And that's why I know they won't. And I would keep checking on them and they never fell apart. And he was right. So the company fell apart after I joined as a district manager. These two guys, Jay and Spence, went off into the mortgage world and needed somebody to take over their company. Me and this other guy said, we'll take over our company. We're going to buy it from you. And we went to raise money and we went to the best man at my parents' wedding and he just shut us down. And we're having a hard time raising money. And the guy said, we're not selling you the whole company anyway. We'll sell you half. And it was through sweat equity because we couldn't raise any money. So basically, I was in the right place at the right time. You know, two years or a year after the year, my first year, it fell apart. These two guys were two years older than me. They took it over. They needed somebody to help them run it. Me and this guy, Jeff, were there. And I remember being at my partner's Jay's house and we, you know, 
we had this college works bit way. We had to change the name. So we had this college works painting business. We loved it. We were going to get to 10 divisions, each doing a million dollars. We'd have a $10 million business. We we're going to be a national company. We were a group of people. We we're going to do other services. And since she said I was sponsoring it, I changed my mug. I went from sponsored by Yeti to sponsored by National Services Group. Wait, so well, we, can I interrupt for a second? So wait, how old were you when you were working at the original company was College Works? Is that correct? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Okay, so so well, it's called it was called Student Works. Well, student Works painting. So it's like yeah. one of those. So for listeners that don't know what that is, that's student like, painters. Yeah, student painters. So so for listeners that don't know what that is, that's like when you're in college, you could start your own business over the summer, and you go and you basically paint houses the whole summer. And you, no, you, no, you hire people. You learn to manage people. Right. You're doing the sales, the organization, the management. Right, right. You're building crews, and you're managing your own little business, yeah. and you're making money. Right. Yeah. And yeah. so you, when did you do that? When was the first, did you do that in college as a student? Yeah, I was a junior. I turned 21. The, basically the day it ended, I was the worst, the absolute worst. I couldn't sell anything to save my life. I very rarely do people do as bad as I did. I think I did 25 bids, sold zero. First job I sold was $462 and I discounted it. Still Alan Gaines is the guy's name. I tell the story about him all the time. I did a great job for him. And he was everybody's favorite teacher. I didn't even know this. Over the next 10 years, he got me $10 million worth of business with just his one handwritten little piece of paper. Wow. And that was, I mean, that, I didn't know what entrepreneurship was. I wanted to be a lawyer. So that's how it happened. So you were 21 and you started working there. How long were you working there for before you tried buying the company? Um, 93, I was a manager. Um, it fell apart in 94. So I, was, I got hired in the, in the fall of 93 and I started working in 94, I believe. Maybe I'm off a year, and it fell apart that that year. I mean, I I had to pay bonuses out of my own pocket because they didn't have any money to pay bonuses. These other two guys restarted it, and they hired me and this guy Jeff as district managers. And it was two years as a district manager before they had to leave to go to a better offer. And you know, it wasn't a very profitable business. It wasn't a very big business. So I they kind of said, "Hey, will you run it?" Like I said, and we said, "No, we'll take it." And next thing you know, I sweat equity. And the cool thing that happened, you know, we're teaching college students to run businesses. Some of them wanted to go into business. And so we went into a partnership with this guy, Mike Profont. And he started, he didn't want to work with college kids anymore. He started a construction company and it seemed like forever, but it didn't make, I told this story to one of his team members a year ago, um, no money, no money, no money, no money, no money. And romp, it just took off. And it really took off because of my partner Jay's strategic decisions to go from painting buildings to rebuilding buildings in, in, the, in the recession. So we kind of doubled our job size because we took all the wood and the roofing and everything else as part of the job. And that kind of carried us through the recession. And we started quite a few businesses just with people that worked with us that wanted to keep working with us. Most of them haven't worked out so well. But a few of them have. And we're, you know, one big happy pet. We're like, I mean, I've been married to my business partners for longer than I've been married to my wife. And I wouldn't be married to my wife if it wasn't for my business partners telling me what an idiot I was. And then I should, you know, they basically coached me on the dating game because I was a horrible, horrible dater before I met my wife. So you ended up leaving the business because it kind of blew up and then went with Jay and those guys, ended up sweat equitying into your ownership in it. And the business then, like, like at that point, like, how big of a business was that? Maybe one or two years into you taking the when they left and you guys kind of took over. Yeah, and I, I used to know the numbers pretty well. Ballpark. Uh, 
um, I mean, it was like 1.6 and we had a really, they left. I don't remember when they left. They, they only left for two years. They, they came right back. Yeah, no, I know. And they, they, and they, and we were working together. They were off kind of, they were a little bit of coaching us. Um, but when they left, maybe we were 5 million. And then Jeff and I, we had a hard time getting over the 10 million mark. And it was 7 million, 7.9 million. Then we jumped to 12 and that business grew. Um, grew and then kind of we missed the S curve. So we're regrowing that business with a little bit of a different strategy. And then we started the, the Empire Company that's just been straight up thanks to um, the team there. And we have a new business. We took the College Works business and kind of cut it in half and put a new brand on it on the East Coast. And now we've got all our levers going up. You know how sometimes you're like, you know, you got one up, one down. They're all kind of going up, you know, any construction company is right now. But we've got three very strong businesses right now. Less to say, and we're having a good time. Do you are you, are you uh, uh, down to go over like ballpark numbers of how big you guys are? Or do you guys keep that private? Uh, we tend to keep it private. Okay, no. And we tend to keep the companies not linked together, so I've already broken it. But uh, we're doing really well, and we're hoping to get to a quarter billion dollars here pretty soon. And how many employees do you guys have right now? Um, I don't know exactly, but we're in a couple thousand. We have a lot of seasonal employees, so in the in the summers we have a couple thousand. Right. So, so, so for listeners who are, you know, are in the earlier stages of entrepreneurship, I, and, and I, Matt's kind of, you're, you're, you're being humble right now, but, but he basically he grew a company from a million bucks to, like you said, his goal is to be a quarter billion and they have a couple thousand employees. And so this is no joke. This is a real business, businesses, multiple businesses. I have a front row seat to it because we're in forum together. So I know what the numbers are and I know how well they're doing. They, he, you've built some really substantial businesses. Uh, one of my questions for you is, you know, in the process of doing that, what what would you say it was like if you could go back in time to you know divisional manager Matt, who was like thinking about becoming an entrepreneur, and try to make those make that growth curve less tumultuous or make it easier on yourself? What advice would you have given yourself as an entrepreneur earlier in those days? Okay, so we built it first of all, and funny, I couldn't say the word entrepreneur in those days. People would ask me what I would do. And I would, I remember being in traffic school, which I went to every 18 months, pretty much all my life until about three years ago. And they said, what do you do? And I couldn't get the word entrepreneur out. I don't remember how old I was. I was super young, 25, 26. Like, what are you talking about? And I remember being on this charity board and I told them how old I was one day. And I'd been on, I'd been on the board for like two years. And they're like, and you know, they thought I was 40 or something. I was 30. And they couldn't believe it. So I, I stumbled into it. I didn't know I was an entrepreneur until maybe five or six years into it. And what's an entrepreneur? They're risking their money. They're not taking paychecks in the beginning. And they're organizing people around an idea. Um, so I, I mean, my lessons came from mistakes I made. So what I see a lot of entrepreneurs do as soon as they're successful at something, they start something else. And I learned the value of core competency. And I think when you're in your 20s, you don't have a core competency. And you shouldn't focus on one thing. You're fishing. Put a bunch of lines in the water. See which one works. If you're doing something that doesn't work and you want to change it, you can get a new core competency. At 50, little, I'm set. I'm good at taking people and helping them learn what it takes to be successful in running businesses. That's what I do. Yeah, and that's happened over many, many years. But if I was gonna, if I was gonna look, I'd say, well, I, I deal with you said college age people. I deal with a lot of people in their twenties, and I would say one, be patient. This generation, and that may apply to all of us. 
but you know, they're so impatient to just be successful. And I was impatient. Um, and I look back, you know, my partner, Jay was a better, uh, was Spencer was a better speaker and Jay had a bigger network and I wanted to have a bigger network and be a better speaker immediately. Well, I'm a better speaker now and I have a bigger network now, but it took a long time and it took the right reasons. And I love your core value focus. I think that strategy and strategy is a luxury of a well-run business. Mm-hmm. If your business is in bad shape, yeah, you're doing strategy here, but you're digging your way out and you're dealing with stuff. When you get to be somewhat level and somewhat calm, you can build your strategy. Values, we didn't know what our values were, but you know, when we look back, I have four partners, three, three, three main partners, and we have a bunch of partners that run divisions or run uh, businesses with us. The four of us kind of share in all of it. And there's different people that share in different parts. We all have the same values. So our personal values are the same as our business values. And our business values and our personal values line up. We have a no asshole rule. We don't work with assholes. Um, And you have an asshole in your partnership or an asshole in your business. You can't keep going. Now, I will say that I was an asshole. I will say that my partners and I didn't know each other very well, so we would second guess each other and didn't trust each other. Back to patience again. So I think patience, focusing on patience, focusing on values, even if you even if you don't know what they are. I wish that we had didn't all have the same DI disc score, and we had had some C's and S's in our partnership. And late in life, we were able to bring those people into the business. But we, everybody said you'll never succeed with your structure. You'll never succeed with four CEOs. You'll never succeed with what you're doing. But we did. And I, I think it's 29 years. I think we might be, this might be our 30th wow, year man. coming you, up. Dude, you, you because just, of values. Yeah. You just basically, like, I was going to go there. I said, because I think that's one of the biggest accomplishments out of the whole thing is you've been in a four business partner partnership for almost 30 years. That's, I mean, I've been in, I've been an entrepreneur for 22 years and I've gone through three partnerships and they and and, it, and partnerships are hard. So and so obviously the value alignment is key. What what else do you think kept the partnership together? I mean, is it just values or there's got to be more than that? What other secrets to that success would you find? Uh regular meetings, regular discussion, fierce conversations. We have two retreats a year for 4 days each where we get down and dirty. We meet every week on Tuesdays at noon for an hour. We didn't always do that. But when we did that, uh, when we went through the recession, one partner had money in the company, the rest of us didn't. Um, That was hard, but we worked on the partnership. And I I look at one of my main jobs, and I don't know if the other guys think this, but I think it. one of my main jobs is to work on the partnership. So I bring the EO, YPO, Vistage exercises, and nobody ever likes the exercises, but we do strategic planning exercises. We do value exercises. We do distant future exercises. We do decision filters. And I mean, I think they know what I'm doing. And maybe I overthink it in my own head, but I had a Vistage chair that said, hey, you're in it. It was 2007. You're in trouble. You need to work on the partnership. So we spend as much time working on the partnership as we do working on the business. So if somebody's having a problem with that, one of my partners had a, had a problem with his spouse that looked like they were going to get divorced. He moved in with the other one. One of my, oh, you never know what's going to happen. One of my partners lost his son. Sorry, Darius. Yeah, no, man, I didn't know if you were going to go there or not. Well, and his son, his other son moved in with me. 
So, um, you know, we're close friends because we have the same values. We're close friends because we built a lot of stuff together. We're close friends because we've been working forever, but we're mostly close because we work on the partnership constantly. So if you're in a partnership, first of all, two people, a little bit harder than four. Three people, three people, there's an odd man out. Two people, you don't know who's wrong. Four people, like it's three against one. And oftentimes it's the one is the right one. Um, but you can maybe it's a little bit easier when you have four people than one. But and we consistently work we're gonna go away next week to my my business partner's house in Temecula, California. And you know, we're working on how we see things in the future. We're aligning our vision. We're communicating and we're working on the partnership and we stay out. I mean, one of my friends said, one of my friends in his company, they asked him, Hey, Charlie, why do you stay out till one in the morning? He said, because between 11 and one, they can't shut up and I can't. We stay out till 1 a.m. and that's when the magic happens. Yeah. Yeah, man. You guys, it's really, it's special to see it. So you guys are, you know, what, I, what I'm taking back from this is work on the partnership. And, you know, I, I think one, and I don't know what the other partners are doing, but in my business, we had four partners and I, w- I kind of had your role where I was out there doing the EOs and the different, you know, group, CEO groups to, to one of which is the one I'm in with you to try to level up and then bringing that stuff back into the partnership. And I, I would agree, two is tough because if you, if you don't see eye to eye, there's no tiebreaker. Three is a, a triad. So you maybe people tend to negotiate a little more. Four, like that's it, there's, it's really hard for someone to muscle the group, right? You've got to get some consensus and people either decide to be a part of that or not. And so it's good to hear you say that. Are you enjoying the show thus far? We go through so many resources and links with this podcast. It's tough to keep up. I get it. That's why Matt and the rest of the team put together the Edge of Excellence Bundle. In it, you'll find different tools that relate to overarching themes and topics of the show. Things like disk assessment tools, time management strategies and tactics, stress and anxiety management tools, exclusive videos and episodes from this podcast that is not released anywhere else, and so much more. The best part? As a valued listener of the show, you can access the Edge of Excellence bundle 100% for free of charge. That's right, for simply being awesome and tuning in. To get access, all you have to do is go to www.collegeworks.com podcast and fill out the short form there for us to get the bundle over to you. Once again, it's www.collegeworks.com podcast. Now, back to the show. Let me ask you a question because you obviously... Had a ton of success in business. Have had some big ups and big downs. You know, you're. You, we didn't go into it too much, but but you know, the '07 before the, that recession that happened, kind of nailed your business pretty hard, right? Because yeah. you were you were part. You were a home services business. '07 happened. How did that affect your business? Do you mind kind of going into that? Those trials and yeah, tribulations. Yeah, I, I I sometimes say we started the recession, and it wasn't the recession that affected our business. Our Empire Community Construction, Jay decided we'd go from painting to construction in the recession. So he doubled the size of our jobs. That was great. College Works does better in a recession because really? we're competing right now for I'm competing with Goldman Sachs and all and Google and Yahoo and all these companies for the best interns in a recession. We're the only ones hiring. So we get better people at College Works in a recession. 
our problem was us. It wasn't the recession. Our problem came before the recession. Uh, we did renegotiate our bank lines right before the recession. So if you're listening right now, I don't know when this is going to air, but recession is coming. Dial in your bank lines. Uh, we did right before everybody else experienced a recession. We cut our losses and got, we had six companies. We got rid of three of them in the summer of 2008. We were, Jay renegotiated our bank lines in August of 2008. And then September 2008, Lehman fell and everything fell apart. So that came from advice from these business groups. Me and Jay have always been in these business groups. Vistage, he's still in. I was in for a long time. EO, I'm still in. Uh, he was in for a long time. YPO, I'm still in. He was in a lot for a long time. So we had this constant feedback and, you know, we're, we're learners and growers. So we're getting all this feedback and, you know, this is, this is going too well. Dial in your bank lines. You're, you're out over your skis, stash cash, all the same advice we're getting right now. And, I, and I'm going to be going to talk to my partners next week about stash cash. What's our decision filters? What are we doing to prepare for recession? I kind of feel like I did in 2006. We're out of control. We're, everybody's in construction is doing well. So are we out spending money and, and getting over our skis like we were before? Uh, but our problem wasn't our core businesses. Our problem was the companies we started that weren't core. And I, I wish I could show you the little cartoon cutout I have. Uh, that was the the mascot for our chemical company. Now, I'm in construction. I started a chemical company. That doesn't make any sense. Um, we had a hardware device uh, that managed leads for the mortgage business. Well, we had a mortgage company. Uh, we had a real estate development company. All, all the entrepreneurs think that they're successful. They, they go have a real estate company. So we had these four businesses that weren't aligned with our core competency. And as soon as things started to waver, those things started falling. And it, it, you just see this all the time. I'm successful in A, so why don't I try B? In our case, we were successful in A, and we tried B, C, D, and E. And I mean, we lost $7 million in our business with Home Depot, who I hate. Uh, we <laughs> lost a million dollars in my chemical business. We had built 22 or something like that houses in Sarasota, Florida, where none of us had ever been. And the last one sold for less than, I think, a third of what we thought we'd sell it for. And we had to carry it for a year. So it was a perfect storm created by entrepreneurial arrogance. I used to call it entrepreneurial optimism, but it was arrogance. And so now we're focused on our core. We're watching our cash. We're preparing for recession, I hope, by filling the coffers and being ready. Um, we dialed in our line of credit. And we're ready to dial it in again. We hired a new CFO to really take us to the next level because hopefully we learned from the last recession. But it wasn't it wasn't the recession that got us. It was us that got us. Wow. Yeah, it's so funny to hear you say that. And I didn't know that that that, that you guys have done that. We ended up doing that in my business too, where we got into all these side businesses. And and to your point, like a lot of people, some people can do it, I guess. And I, I what I came down to was you need to have strong CEOs in those businesses or else it just doesn't work. Right. And so so I love hearing you kind of support that, which is hey, like unless you have a, an operator that's really strong who's a CEO or whatever you want to call them, at the end of the day, it becomes a distraction for you and your partners. And inevitably, there's failure if if the market's not strong because dude, business is hard. Business has ups and business has downs, right? Yeah. And so, in the down markets, to your point, that's when you consolidate and that's when you guys can lean into what you know. It's if, if it's in a core competency, you're going to gain market share in those in those environments, right? Yeah. But if it's not in those environments, it's like you know, if you if you are not if that is not a core competency, to your point, 
like you're going to get rocked by someone who it is their core competency. Yeah, yeah, we had no. It, it's it's not just a strong CEO; it's a CEO with experience in that arena. I don't know anything about chemicals. I was I was starting off at 20 years old again, and putting yeah. big money on the line. We didn't yeah. know anything about real estate development. I'm up against the, you know these huge real estate developers. They just mop the floor with us. Yeah, that's crazy. So so um, I want to move to like you know we have about 20 minutes left in the show, but I wanted to kind of talk about you know your your newest project. Um, well, before we go there, I want to actually talk to you about EO because you know you you obviously have spent a ton of time in these these different groups. You eventually became the global chairman for EO for the whole world. Um, and that was in the midst of some of this this, this turmoil because this was oh, yeah. you know in the middle of the, the Great Recession. What like what drove you to want to, to take on that role, and what were some learnings that you took on from running a global organization like EO? Drove me to take on that role. That's interesting. I was chapter president, and we did really well. And then I was invited on the board, and then we folded the board. We had a vote, and it was forty people. We basically fired all ourselves. And then I was invited back on the board again. Um, I really, I guess what the driver was, was how much I was learning. I could just, everything I learned about being a leader, I learned from EO. I learned from working with other people. I mean, I was a shitty leader and I keep, keep catching myself falling back into talking, not listening and managing, not um, letting people manage themselves. And I learned how to, you know, working with volunteers and I learned how to kind of uh, lead a group of now, I, w- I almost said equals, but I was a 27-year-old kid. So lead a group of people that were more capable than me by practicing. So I learned so much in my EO roles in the chapter. I just knew I was going to learn so much more in my global role. And I did. I mean, Bob Strait, uh, you know, he, I mean, my board book that I use for my companies now is a mimic of Bob Strait. Uh, every board I've ever been on, I quote Bob Strait. Committees, uh, uh, committees. Not present, and I'm losing my I'm misquoting Bob Strait. Committees propose, <laughs> boards approve, staff implements. So don't interfere. Um, I saw some really bad examples of people meddling and not letting people run. So I, I was so excited to just learn and grow from the experience, and that's what I mean. I got out of it way more than I'd ever thought. I mean, I went from you know probably a pretty bad leader to a pretty good leader. I went from um, you know, not knowing how to interact at all with peers to being really good at. It. I remember my business partners. You know, I kind of got fired from running the operations at our company because I sucked at it. I was in everybody's face all the time. And then after this experience, I was really good at it. And now, you know, all the boards I sit on, you know, I become chairman of, and we have all this success. It's because I let people do what they know how to do. I'm not going to come in and like I was a, a chairman of the school board. I'm not going to interfere with the educators, but I saw other people before me interfering with the educators and administrators. You know, set goals with them and cut them loose. So I, w- I think I was really motivated to learn, and and I got what I was motivated to get. I love that man. And so, so now, like you know, you're into this like later season in your career where you have this large business. <laughs> you are, you know. You know, at a mature level where you've learned through these mistakes and where you have, you know, where you're getting ready to get ready, right? And doing it so thoughtfully. One of the things I talked to you about, you know, and that I think is a really cool project that you're working on 
is the what's next, right? And I think a lot of leaders, as we kind of hit that season in our career where we've built the business we always dreamed about building, you know, and in your case, it's a business that your goal is to hit a quarter billion in revenue and you're probably near that horizon to a certain degree. Um, but now you're working on what's next. And this, you know, I, I'd love to talk about the podcast, The Edge of Excellence. So um, my understanding is you have a passion for helping young college age people find their passion. Talk to us a little bit about, where, about you know, the podcast. Where did that passion come from? I'd love to hear more about that. Yeah, again, from failure. So it seems like a theme here that uh, <laughs> there's failures that I, I try to work around. So I wanted to share. It was actually the disc. I wanted to get people to understand disc because my wife picked the wrong career. And if she would have just taken a disc, she wouldn't have. She was in sales. She shouldn't have been in sales. My brother-in-law, her brother, worked for me in sales and it was the wrong career. He went off into project management and has just thrived, did a disc test. He's perfect. So I wanted to spread the disc thing around. And I learned that in EO, by the way. But I couldn't get Wiley to give me free tests. So I was going to build a website. That didn't work. And then I, I, mean, I have all this IP and I started noticing I was helping my friends' kids and my kids' friends figure out their careers, like a career counselor. And then I was helping my friends' kids and my kids' friends get into college, like a college counselor. And I thought, how can I get this done? And my partner, Jay, had done a podcast and I was you know, totally against doing it. And then I realized, wait a second, this might be a way to get this knowledge out to the world. And every year I would take 100 people from my business and run them through a disc test and help them figure out their career. And about 60% of them were headed in the right direction and about 40 weren't. And they wanted to be an accountant. And I'd say, hey, I uh, look at your disc score here. You're not really detail oriented. You have no C at all. You're a DI. Maybe finance would be better. Uh, and I, what I found was the average college age person, to use your terms, knows of about 25 careers. They used to know what their parents did, what their friends' parents did, and what was on TV. They don't even know what their parents do and what their friends' parents do anymore. So wow. they know what's on TV. Lawyer, doctor, policeman, uh, CIA, uh, CSI. So they just don't have the exposure. So I started working with this one-on-one. Uh, how to f- And I had this little system called wormholing, where you're just reading job descriptions and wormholing and understanding your disc score. I thought, how could I get this out to more people? So the podcast worked for that. So I interview ex-alumni of CollegeWorks because CollegeWorks pays for it. And I interview friends of mine. And we talk about what their career path is and what they do on a daily basis. And we're trying to expose people in their 20s to a wider array of careers and what exactly you do in the career and how you get to that career. And so it lines with, I mean, all my life, I've worked with entrepreneurs and entrepreneurial 20-somethings. And you know, you, you, one of your questions that you asked me was, what, what do I want to do to change the world? I want to help 20-somethings find their passions and avoid a midlife crisis. My wife kind of had a pre-life crisis. My brother had a pre-life crisis. I did a disc for a dude that was a CFO of a mega company. And he realized, oh my God, this totally doesn't align with my behavioral patterns from disc. So we're trying to help people figure it out before they're 35 with the house and kids and having to make a major life change. Let's make the life change before we really start the professional life. And it doesn't have to be so hard. You spend a few hours on it, get some exposure, do some reading, understand yourself, and you can find something like what you and I found, Darius, where we're just always happy to go to work. 
And I, my dad said to me once, he goes, yeah, I never see people your age that really love going to work. Mm-hmm. Well, that's sad. Let's, let's end that. Yeah, because what they don't talk about is what are the side effects of that, man? Watching someone just like dispassionately wake up and like drudge through the day and, and, and watching your parent do that has got to be the, one of the more demotivating things in anyone's life. If they see a parent that actually is like apathetic about what they do, as opposed to your point of being all in, right? Yeah. Watching a parent that's engaged. I mean, one of my core purpose in life is to help people live an engaged life. Right. And the reason I that came from, I mean, I had a dad who was an entrepreneur, but he had a business he hated. Wow. You know? And I remember thinking, man, I'm like, I don't want to do that. You know, I want to have wow. a business maybe, but I I don't want to hate my business, you know. And he did it out of circumstance, but like many people do. But to your point, like, how can we help people do that? What are you noticing like in the process of of working with with, you know, I, I don't want to say kids, but you know, y- young adults. And helping them kind of identify what are the things you notice when you're working with these young adults as far as like, how do they respond to this type of assessment and knowledge gain? Well, I notice that whatever shows popular on TV is what they want to do. So flip or flop. They all, if they want to go into real estate, they want to flip houses. Used to be everybody wanted to be a law- lawyer because whatever, Ally McBeal or whatever show was on. I don't even remember. But, you know, whatever the media is, oh, they all want to be influencers. Whatever the media is, it, it really affects people's uh, uh, professional desires, and, and, it's, and it doesn't align very well. So I noticed that theme. I also noticed the extreme lack of patience. Like the ones that are headed to really conquer the world, they all want to do it by the time they're 35. So a lot of my shows, I'll have people on that are retired. And it's like, okay, you're retired. What do you do now? Oh, I have another business. You can't retire at 35. And it's impractical. You're, that odds of, of, of having a quarter billion dollar business, the odds of being a CEO, the odds of being financially independent. It, I mean, I, God bless you if you can get it done. But I think if, I think if you're setting the, the diehard goal, I've had people leave my business because they're 30 and they're not doing Like, What are you doing? So I see a lot of lack of patience. I see a lot of lack of awareness, which are easily solved. You can solve the awareness by, doing research and I have people do an hour a month for 12 months or an hour a week for 12 weeks just to build awareness of what's out there. Once you've done a discourse, it's much easier to focus on just what would work for you out there. But we can get exposure. We can get patience. I will say that, you know, that, that there's a desire to figure it out. Maybe that goes with the lack of patience. So they need to prep. Um, they need to prep for life. They need to plan, but be flexible in their plan, and they need to be patient. And I love it, man. Like I, I really feel like you're such a like wealth of knowledge when it comes to this stuff. And and I and I get again like one of the cool things about being in CEO groups and like we do this, whether it's in our group or in the groups that we support, is you get to meet people who have their passions that could then support your passions, mm-hmm. and. You know, I'm going to quote you right now. You're not going to, you're not going to, I don't know if you'll remember saying this, but you know, Matt's, Matt's kids, cause he's got two amazing kids. Um, and well, his son's at Tulane and his daughter's and going into her senior year of high school. Yeah. And she's like an amazing musician. And, but one of the things we were talking about, we we're talking about raising kids in our forum. And you said something that I quote you on all the time and you don't know this, but I always say that my friend Matt always says that his job is to help his kids find their genius. And and I feel like that dovetails into what you're talking about right now, and maybe a more practical terms with the podcast. But 
Um, that was very motivating for me to hear that from you. And and I say that I say with my kids, I go, my job as a parent is to help my kids find their genius. And I, and you said I don't care if that's they want to be a chef. I'm going to help them go become a chef. If they want to you know become a singer, let's use Kennedy for example. I mean, Kennedy's singing at House of Blues, right? And so. So walk us through that a little bit because I think helping people find their genius is such an amazing idea. But what do you mean by that? Yeah, you know where that came from, Darius? That was from the Me Tool. And the problem I had was I, I can't do that, right? That's one of my goals. And the, and the Me Tool is all about what you control. So I can't control the outcome. And I forget what it used to say. It was my kids find success or something like that. And someone pushed back and said, can't get your kids success. So I want to be the best dad I the best dad I could ever. And I, I've already missed that boat. I made enough mistakes and I, I'm I know I'm hard on myself. My dad and my mom, I think, did the perfect job, and I don't know how they did it because I was such a pain in the ass. But I want them to find their passion. I want to find their their happiness. I want them to develop work ethic. I want them to find their genius. So I guess it, again it comes back to patience. I, like my daughter's working here right now. Why is she working here? Because she didn't get a job. And I told her she had to work here. We don't pay for their summers. Um, and, and so she had to get something. She came here. And I don't know. I don't know how she does. She like accounting. Does she like HR? I don't know. She's 17. Nobody knows. So you're supposed to figure your stuff out. I want to expose them. I want to expose them to the real world, not the bubble they live in. I want to expose them to different careers. I want to be patient. Uh, my wife's very artistic. And it's carried into both my kids. My wife's cooking with my son. My son was making, I don't know what the hell he was making last night. This, this Asian little taco thing with this puffy bomb, something or other. But all of a sudden for four hours, my son's making a lunch and it ended up being dinner because it took him four hours. And then eight, I kid you not, 18 kids came to my house last night to eat this thing that he made. It's, it's, I think it's Korean. It's like a doughy taco thing with uh, pork in it. And you see him slicing this. Like maybe this kid's going to be a chef, but he's also artistic and he loves clothes and he used to sell clothes. Maybe he's going to be a clothing designer, but now he's working at an interior design place and they love him there. I don't know. He's 20 years old. So I like to use my wife to rest, to, to make me more patient and expose them and encourage them and let them know I'm backing them. Because I, I mean, I think happiness is the most important thing. And, you know, I love my job. You love your job. Um, I, I get, when you were talking about watching your parents hate what they do for a living, I couldn't even contemplate that. And so, I mean, I think being a parent is the hardest thing that you ever do with the least amount of instructions. I think being married is the second hardest thing you do with the second least amount of instructions. And, you know, I'm focused on support, exposure. And I guess I have way too many rules and guidelines, but my wife has none. So together we have the maybe the perfect amount. And that's what we're trying to do. And I try to carry that to other kids. And I think what I, and I shouldn't say kids, but I think the reason why I relate so well with my friends' kids and a bunch of people I work with that are 20s is I treat them the same way I treat you or I treat, you know, I don't know, the president of, of Costa Rica um, who I met one time. Um, with respect and as an adult and everybody's on the same plane. And so I, you know, I do that. Someone told me as you evolve through your parenting, eventually you become their friend. And I, I've always resisted that, but I see myself kind of treating people with respect. So then they're more honest and then we can help find passion and happiness together. Oh man, you're the bomb. I love you, man. 
And I really appreciate, I do. I appreciate everything that you stand for and um, even the stuff that (laughs) that I don't don't stand for because everybody makes mistakes. We don't live our values every single day. Right. (laughs) Even the things that you don't stand for that I don't stand for that are fun. Yeah, 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 me too. (laughs) Yeah. What, I guess, you know, we're, we're rounding up the last few minutes of the show here, but, you know, for you, you know, you're, you're at this part in your career where you've been doing this for half your life, if not more. And, you know, what, what would you consider like 10 years from now, it's, you know, 2032, where do you want to, where, where do you want to be? Like if you were to kind of like spell it out and the gods make it so. Um, yeah, I've been married uh, this year. I will reach married longer than I haven't been married. I've already passed my uh, partnership longer than I, uh, they, they've had more more than half my life I've been in my partnership. Uh, you know, I have that goal sheet that you and I talk about all the time, the me tool. So, you know, everything starts with best dad. So I want, you know, in 10 years, I want to, I want my kids to feel I did a great job and I've done everything I can to be the best dad. Always second best husband. I want my wife to feel that I've been learning and growing and developing and being the best husband third thing, best friend. I, you know, that's what I can give. You know, I've got a lot of friends that have a lot more money and a lot more success, but I want to be the one that they, that people look at and say, nobody ever beat Matt as a friend. Um, and those are most important for me. Um, I, I do see an exit in our business coming up. So we're going to work diligently for that. And then I have to learn a whole new life of what to do after exit. And I want to keep laughing, dude. I just spent nine days traveling with uh, my friend, Sean Baldwin and a bunch of other buddies. And we laugh for nine days straight. So I want to keep laughing and keep learning and growing with the people around me. And I, I don't see my life changing much in the, you said I, I, I'm 50, dude. I still got another half to go. So I got a lot of living, a lot of working, a lot of loving, a lot of growing to go. So I hope it just keeps going at the same pace with, I mean, the same rewards. I, I, I hate to say this. I don't want to be satisfied. But I'm pretty stoked on what's happened for the last 30 years. And I'm pretty excited about the next 30 years. I'd like it to be a little more stable. Now, the ups and downs are a little brutal. But yeah, that's what I'm focused on. I love it, man. So look, anyone that wants to either learn about the podcast or learn more about you know College Works or any of the other companies at NSG, how can they find you? Um, NationalServiceGroup.com is our website. The Edge of Excellence on any podcast form. Please share it with people that are in their 20s. Um, it's a lot of great exposure. And uh, they can, let me give them your cell phone number. They can call your cell phone and reach me. <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, uh, you give my home address too. While you're and I'm on LinkedIn. I don't know what my address is. I think it's Matthew.K.Stewart or Instagram, one of those. Oh, Matt Stewart. You're a you're a scholar and a gentleman. No, you're you're neither of those. You're a gentleman. <laughs> I am anything. a gentleman, <laughs> scholar. Uh. Yeah, you, know, you're, you are you are a, a sage person. That's okay. true, though. You're, okay. you're, you're, you're you're a thoughtful person and, and a, an amazing human being. And I'm I'm proud to call you my my friend amongst other things. I call you. Uh, <laughs> I only call you friend, by the way. <laughs> no, they're all positive. But from okay, good, good, good. they're all positive. Um, well, man, thank you for doing the show. I'm looking forward to us seeing each other and in real life soon and um like everyone's like you said if you guys want to connect with matt check him out on the edge of excellence podcast amazing podcast yours truly was on it amongst many other amazing people um and yeah we'll, we'll make sure we put all that stuff in the show notes and uh man appreciate you i love you we out of here right thank you darius you're welcome peace out everybody i hope you enjoyed that episode today on the edge of excellence podcast 
Make sure to hit subscribe on whichever platform you're listening to this. If this episode made you think of someone, go ahead, take a screenshot and share this exact episode with them. This show exists to showcase what is possible when young leaders are willing to step out of their comfort zone and choose to excel in their lives. To learn more about our internship for young and ambitious students, www.oneinternship.com slash podcast to see if it's something that makes sense for you. Once again, it is www.oneinternship.com slash podcast. Let this be a reminder for you to live on the edge of excellence in your business and life. See you next time.